All right, um, Jim called me, talked to me about, um, he felt as he was leading through his, uh, praying over his material that, that, that someone else should do this particular section. So he asked me, and I said that I would. I teach a Sunday school class over at Saudi, um, and we're going through 1 John. So Jim's going through 1 John today, and I'm going to do Proverbs. Now, I understand that you're going through the whole Bible and doing like a big view of the whole Bible, right? That's what you're doing. So uh, he assigned to me Proverbs 1 through 4, and uh, that's what he assigned me. And what I decided I'm going to do is, uh, <laughs> I, I looked at all his notes, I thought Proverbs 1 through 4, that's great. But uh, what I'm going to do is give you an overview of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a very difficult book to, uh, to divide, to subdivide, and I'll explain why as we go through here. I've got a PowerPoint presentation that I do for my class at Chat State when I teach through the book of Proverbs. I've stripped all of the audio off of it, so I'll just walk you through here and talk about the division of the book of Proverbs, some of the important aspects of Proverbs. Then we'll talk about general things, and then I'll look at a specific proverb in detail, and hopefully that'll take us to the time. All right, so if you look up at the board, everyone can see that okay? Uh, Proverbs is basically Israel's manual for living. Um, I like to look at it this way. You have the law, and the way the law functions, it's a series of propositional statements telling you to do this, 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 don't do this. Well, what the Proverbs do, just like the Psalms and other books in the wisdom literature, they put feet on it. They help you to see exactly how the propositional statements work out in living. So that's why it's referred to as a manual for living. So here's our central proposition for this. I like to do a central proposition. A central proposition is basically an idea that permeates the book, the thought that is uh, over and over repeated so that we get a feel for the general sense of what's going on. In the book of Proverbs, we have this idea of a woman calling out. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, frequently we see that Wisdom is personified as a woman. And so she's calling out in the streets. The text says this in verse, uh, verses 20 through 22 in Proverbs 1. Wisdom calls out in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Now, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? So... This is a good overview for the whole text because the writer of Proverbs, uh, the writers of Proverbs are trying to communicate to us this idea of true wisdom in the midst of a world that is chaotic. So that's our central idea or our key principle. Now here's the book summary for the book of Proverbs. There is, first of all, uh, sections, uh, section 1, chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs seems to lay out pretty nicely. You can look at a, one proverb in each of these chapters and find that that proverb has a single thought for the most part, and it's easy to outline. We'll look at this. But uh, that problem comes when you come to chapter 10. So this is considered the call to wisdom. In other words, uh, over and over in these proverbs, the writer is saying things like this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that your lips may maintain discretion and your heart preserve knowledge. The idea here is that you would listen to the call to wisdom and that you and I, as followers of God, would listen and heed to the words that He has given us for living. 
right, trying to advance that, David, if you'd hit the next one, hit a button one more time. There's the second section. This is a harder division of this. And the reason it's harder, in chapters 10 through 31, there are multiple authors and there are multiple ideas that are covered in there. Now, there have been, there, some groundbreaking work has been done on the latter portion of the book of Proverbs by men like Bruce Waltke, who through studying Hebrew have made connections to demonstrate that these Proverbs are, they, they are cohesive individual units. But uh, at the same time, it's still difficult when you and I read it. It seems like it jumps from this, this thought to this thought to this thought. But there is an underlying connection. It's just very hard to discern. So we call this section Sayings of the Wise. In other words, there are multiple authors in this part, uh, and there are a lot of sayings that seem to be contained in three or four verses. Okay? So this is the basic division of the book of Proverbs. When you're thinking about Proverbs, that it's a, a general division. It's chapters 1 through 9 and then nine, uh, 10 through 31. Next slide, please. I'll just say next slide. Hit, hit it a couple times. It'll fill us green. All right, now... I said there's a twofold division. There's also a prologue to the book of Proverbs and there's an epilogue. So at the beginning, there is a, a discussion that helps you to orient yourself to the entire book. And that is found in chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Of course, the epilogue of the book of Proverbs is found in chapter 31 and it, from verses 10 through 31. And it deals with what? What does that chapter deal with, ladies? You know what this one deals with? The last... What is it? It's a Proverbs 31 woman, right? And so the Proverbs 31 woman at the end of the book is considered to be the epilogue. It's interesting to note in, in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, when you look at it, the book of Ruth dovetails directly behind the book of Proverbs. So when it talks about Proverbs 31 woman, we have a direct example in the, in the life of the woman Ruth. So if you're ever, how in the world can anyone do this? How does, how does someone ever fulfill the idea of a Proverbs 31 woman? Read the book of Ruth and you'll have a clear demonstration. And every Hebrew would know to do that very same thing. Okay? So let's go. This is a key verse. Um, this is something I run into in life. When you're out there mixing it up with JQ Public uh, and you, you run into people who are non believers, this is always the deal. Uh, if people don't fear God, the discussion's not really going to go anywhere. <laughs> But God still calls us to engage in the discussion, and it seems crazy. I just got an email from a student the other day who's taken my Old Testament class, and I had her years ago, and she was an atheist, just in-your-face atheist. And, and we had lots of discussions about God, and I, I frequently would walk away from the discussion thinking, God, why are you doing this to me? Why do I keep getting in this discussion? It's not going anywhere. Well, she wrote her email to me. Remember me? I'm serving Jesus now. Remember the discussions we had? I was like, that's why we do that. Because the Word of God, even when someone's spiritually dead, the Word of God gets in there. They have to hear it. How can anyone believe it? How can anyone hear if no one is sent? So we go and we speak the Word, but we run in a world where they do not fear God. So the beginning of true wisdom, according to this text, is the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And it could easily be said here, the dead despise wisdom and discipline. But uh, it also applies to us as well. We're foolish when we, we're acting foolishly when we do not walk in reverential fear of God. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Now, uh, 
I'll say, just go ahead and start clicking. I'll talk about these. Here's the purpose of wisdom. It's found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. First of all, it's to attain wisdom. The reason this is written so that you and I could attain wisdom. Go ahead and hit them. There, there's about seven or eight of these. All right. Also, for understanding, for acquiring a disciplined life, for doing what is right, for giving prudence to the simple. What's prudence? Anyone know what prudence? That's one of those good old-fashioned King James words. What's prudence? To be wise in practical matters. That's the definition. To be wise in practical matters. So wisdom, true wisdom, comes from knowing God's word and what God has to say about things. So all of these are reasons. Uh, when you look at the prologue, let's, let's look together at Proverbs 1.1. Look, look what the text says. Proverbs 1.1 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now, notice here the uh, infinitives that are used here. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity. To give subtly to the simple, sub subtlety to the simple. To young men, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain into the council. So these are all reasons that the Proverbs are given to us to know what is right, to be wise in practical matters so that we can gain knowledge. Hit this next series about four more times. Now here's the call of wisdom. Here is what we're called to do with wisdom. We're called to listen to what God has to say. We're called to learn from what God has to say. That will help us in our discernment, knowing what is right and what is wrong and what to do in certain situations. And the scripture also gives us guidance. So... In this prologue, there are two things that are functioning. The purpose that wisdom is given and also the call of wisdom. In other words, it's not just theoretical. Yes, wisdom will do these things for us, but we must do something as well. And we must listen, we must learn, discern, and seek guidance from God. Okay? So that's all in the prologue, which is the first seven verse. Now, here is the call of wisdom. Verse chapters 1 through 9. Go ahead and... Hit that again. Here's a verse of summary. One of my favorite verses of scripture. When I first was saved, a pastor gave me a book called Enjoy Your Bible by Irvin Jensen and, gave, and wrote this verse of scripture in here, these verses. And you've all heard these before. I wrote a song to this. I tried to get my daughter who plays guitar to come in and sing it with me, but she just wouldn't have anything to do with it. So we'll skip that. Uh, the chorus goes something like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Anyone else care for that verse? Great verse of scripture. Love that verse. All right, so uh, hit it one more time. Let's see what else we got. All right, I'm going to come back to this. David, hit, go ahead and flip through this, because I'm going to talk in detail about that. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. All right, sayings of the wise. Real quick, let's go through this quick. Click it again. Uh, Proverbs, sayings of the wise, 24 through 30, 30 through 34, I mean, uh, it says this, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacked judgment. And here's basically what he saw. The guy wasn't taking care of his stuff and everything was falling apart. And so what happens for the sluggard is that poverty comes on him like a bandit is the idea. So this is the, this is the guide for chapters 10 through 31 and Jim will talk about that stuff later. All right, go ahead to the next one. The wise men that we have here are Solomon, 
uh, and just separate wise men, Agur and Lemuel. And, of course, those guys that I have up there are Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They're wisdom of the world. All right, next. Uh, epilogue we already talked about, the Proverbs 31 woman one more time. Let's hit a few of these. Here's what, here's what we could say about the Proverb 31 woman. She's reliable. She's robust. She's, she has results. She reaps fruit. And she has great reputation. So that, that's it with that. Can you go back to that uh, Proverbs 9? Uh, it's the one with all the food on the table. All right. Now, let me ask this question. Uh, who will share with me? Give me some examples. We're basically finished there for now. Uh, what are some of your examples of favorite Proverbs? Who has a favorite proverb? Anyone have any memorized that you care to share? Favorite proverb? Going once, going twice. All right, that's my opportunity for class participation. Uh, so let's move some, through some specific examples here of proverbs. Um, open up the book of Proverbs, if you would. Let's look at a couple things. I've already talked about chapter 1. Jim wanted me to cover chapters 1 through 4, so I'll do that real quick. Uh, chapter 2 has a nice key verse. Let's look at this. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, says this. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So, we seek wisdom... We seek wisdom from God. God freely gives it to us. We just need to appropriate it. We need to acquire it. We need to look for it, listen to it, and then learn from it and apply it to our lives. So that's chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. We've already seen this verse, that verse that we just shared there. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But I like to read a few verses before that as well. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let mercy and truth... Forsake thee, never let mercy or truth forsake thee. Bind them around your neck, write them upon the tablet of thine heart. I grabbed the King James today. I'm not anti King James. I memorize the verses in NIV and I'm like, that just does not sound. Let mercy and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So I learned stuff in the NIV. So there we go. Uh, It's good. Anyone make a discipline? Don't raise your hand, but think about this. People have encouraged me to do this, and I did it for a time. I, I I'll be honest, I don't do it now. Uh, I've done, I'm doing some other things. But to read a proverb a day, you know, 30 days in a month, 31 days in a month, try to read a proverb a day. Anyone try that? Great discipline, great exercise, uh, because there's so many gems of wisdom found in these, in these texts. Let's go on. Verse, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Chapter 3, 21 through 26. Listen to what it says. My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, them being the Proverbs. Um, so they shall be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and the foot, thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thou shalt sleep, and his sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. I love these kind of verses. Listen to the practicality. Memorizing Proverbs can help govern your thought life and your sleep. You know what? I I need this because sometimes you ever wake up and wonder, now where did that come from? You know, and I think psychology has 
some, they've got some ideas of some truth when they start talking about our subconscious. These things that are playing in our subconscious can play out in our dreams because in our dreams we don't really have control over what's going on. Our mental structures and checks that we have in place are released during that time. And so that's why frequently we have some crazy dreams. So after enough crazy dreams, I start saying, God, protect my dream life. And then I, I feel God's impressing me. Terry, put some scripture there. So what do you do? Protect your dream life. Put some scripture in your heart and in your being so that when you do dream and your subconscious is freed up, you have the opportunity for God's word, which is already resonating in your person, to make its way into your dream experience as well. Uh, and I used to have terrible experiences. There were times when I had the old hag syndrome, and that's kind of crazy, and I won't go into detail about it, but what happens is you're basically paralyzed when you wake up in the night. I, I think it's a demonic kind of thing. I, I don't think there's a demon behind every bush, but what I met a guy one time who has written a lot on the adversary and the devil, and I asked him, what do you do about these kinds of things? And he said, you pray before you go to sleep and ask God to protect you in your dreams. Pretty simple. And so I started doing that, and I don't, I don't have trouble with that anymore. Not that I was having it all the time, but this scripture, listen to what it says again in light of that. It says that you will not be, when you lie down, that you shall not be afraid, and you shall lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. This is a promise that God gives us here. <sighs> All right, do not be afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked. So the word of God in us with these Proverbs helps us as we're uh, motoring around during the course of the day. Look at chapter 4. I'll give you one verse from 4. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. That's a great word. With all thy getting, get. With everything you have, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee she shall bring thee to honor all right so now that's now i've covered my assignment from jim so i'm going to move on to a couple other because i want to look at this first section because i think he's going to go to the latter section in the next parts so look at chapter 5 verse 21 here's a good verse for us the ways of the men are before the eyes of the lord he pondereth all his goings the ways of men a man are before the eyes of the lord and he pondereth all his goings Another example, chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, so shall poverty come as one that traveleth, that traveleth and that thy want as an armed man. All right, now, let me give you a couple other principles. I could pull a verse out of each one of these. I'll stop right there and say, here, is, here are some examples of something that happens consistently in the Proverbs. Just like I had the woman with the megaphone, wisdom's calling out in the street, here is an example of what wisdom does. If you look at chapter 2, verses 16. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Uh, start, start with 1, 20 through 23. Here's what, what, here's what she does. Wisdom crieth out. She uttereth her voice in the street. She crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you li love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So here's an example of wisdom personified again. And wisdom uh, in the Old Testament economy and in the ancient world, when you went to a high place, you were closer to God. The physical 
um, presence, the geographical location of being on a high place puts you closer to the presence of God in their economy. So on the high places you had uh, places of worship and you had places of worship in pagan societies as well. So you've got this idea of wisdom's calling out in the high places to people to come and learn from God. Look at chapter 8 verses 3 through 5. We've got this metaphor again. She crieth at the gates, she being wisdom. At the entry of the city, she cometh in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the Son of Man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. So again, this idea continues throughout. Wisdom is calling out, calling out to us to follow her call, to follow the the call to wisdom, the idea of fearing the Lord the idea of putting God's principles to practice in our life. Now, I'm going to put a little pause button here and talk about something else that's a common theme in these first verses, these first chapters, and it's the strange woman. Here's here's what's happening. You've got a mother and father communicating to their son. That's why over and over it says, my son, pay attention. My son, listen. My son, hear me. You could easily insert daughter here. It's the same principle. And just reverse it. Instead of the strange woman, the strange man. And, and what is meant by a strange man? The strange woman. Someone other than your spouse or your, the one that is yours. The strange one is someone else. Okay, and here's what the text says about it. Uh, chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. 2, 16 through 20 says this. To deliver thee, the reason you learn these things is to deliver you from who? What does your translation say? The adulteress, the strange woman. So here's, our, here's an example of the strange woman. The idea of the strange woman is the one that is trying to seduce the one who is the follower of Christ, the follower of God. I'll give you some examples of this. Um, as a professor at a school, you know, sometimes you have, you have students. <laughs> you know, when you have students, students have work to do. And sometimes students will do a lot of different things to try to get out of work, especially when they haven't. Now, I have to admit, uh, there was this one girl, and she was a very beautiful girl. I, I'm, a, I'm a man. She was a beautiful girl. She was my student. She came to me one time and said, Mr. Brown, and she gave me this song and dance about what she didn't do, and said, I will do anything. And she put emphasis on the anything. I, you can fill in the blanks to pass your class. And my immediate thought to her was, well, okay, so I paused for a minute. But my immediate thought was this. Do the work. You'll do anything? Well, do the work. If you'll do the work, you'll pass class. Uh, and, and so, but that is a picture of what happens to us all the time. We're out mixing it up in the world, and people are trying to pull us away from being on the right path. And what I try to do, uh, you know, guys, when we're honest, we wrestle with lust. That's a reality. Guys wrestle with lust. This is no new revelation. I had a mentor one time that helped me. One way that I learned when I started going into lust mode was to memorize Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5 has helped me tremendously. And what what happens is when I start to move into lust mode, I think of Proverbs 5, and Proverbs 5 has this saying about the woman. Her lips are sweet, wait, her lips are sweet. But in the end there is bitter as gall. They're smooth as honey, 
but in the end they're bitter as gall. Her, her feet lead down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. That's the idea. So here is, here's the presentation. I try, what I tried to do was personify the lust that I was experiencing with the strange woman. I, I don't think it's wrong for men to think about their wives. I think that's perfectly fine, isn't it, guys? I mean, God gave us our wives for that purpose. That's one of the purposes, two becoming one, that we would grow together in intimacy and friendship and those kinds of things. So, all right, I got through that without problems. All right, so maybe that's why Jim had made it. I don't know. All right, chapter, who knows? I, I don't know. Uh, chapter five, though, great verse. If you're wrestling, I'll give you a practical piece of advice. If you're wrestling with lust as a man or even as a lady, this is a great passage of scripture to deal with because it helps to put it in perspective. Listen to what this verse says. This is so powerful. It says this, Drink water out of your own cistern and running water out of your own well. Let thy fountains, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters into the street. That's a rhetorical question, meaning no. Let them be thine only and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Oh, what a powerful passage of scripture. Let her be as the loving hind. Other translations say the doe, the deer, and pleasure, pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thy ravished always with her love. Man, that's beautiful. So why do I need to lust when, when God has provided me with, with the means for experiencing intimacy the way he designed and I should be satisfied always. I, I think it's powerful. Okay, uh, Look at chapter 6, verse 24. Here's another reference to this woman, the strange woman. To keep thee from the what woman? What do you have in your translation? I have evil woman. Anyone else? The immoral woman. All right, uh, popular songs out there. I think of ELO and different groups. They sing about the evil woman or the strange woman and like, she is, like she's something that we should pursue somehow. All right, chapter 7, verse 5 talks about it as well. That they may keep thee from what? The strange woman and the stranger which flattereth with her words. That's just a, that's just a sidestep here, but the idea of the adulterous woman you could plug in the adulterous man. The point is the one who is tempting you to move from God's plan for you into disobedience and walking in sin. All right? Now, I've said something about general Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. I've said something about a couple of different motifs that are happening, the calling out and the strange woman, and that leaves me with a few minutes to cover this passage. All right, let's look at this Proverbs 9. I've given you an outline with this. Here's basically what's happening. God has provided you and I with a banquet, basically. This morning, um, I had fresh cantaloupe. In Sale Creek, there's a guy on the side of the road, and I pass him by frequently. He had some big honking melons. I said, I'm going to get some melons. So I bought some cantaloupe. My kids cut them up and chopped them up, put them in the fridge, nice cantaloupe, and I ate a nice breakfast of cantaloupe this morning. It was wonderful. But over there in the cabinet as well was some chocolate donuts that I knew were there too. So I had grabbed me a few chocolate donuts too. And so I think we frequently do this. We know what's good and healthy for us, and we snag that good healthy stuff and we eat it, but we also snag those things that aren't so healthy for us and eat those things. 
And while I'm not going to say that chocolate donuts necessarily are going to hurt you, you could argue they might, I'm going to say that there are different kinds of options for us out there. There is the meal that God provides. And the meal that God is asking and requiring His children to eat and feast upon is the meal of His Word. And particularly the, the meal of the Proverbs. The Proverbs provide for us all that we need for healthy, nutritional life spiritually. And so if we will, more, we will eat upon these morsels, focus on these words, these principles, then we will find that our, that our spiritual health will be good. Look what the text tells us. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 9. The first idea is this idea of the meal that heals. Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. This phrase in Hebrew is the same phrase that is applied to Samson knocking down the pillars of the Philistines. At that point, Samson was between two pillars. There were three pillars holding that place up. So he pushed the two pillars and you know, caused that all to tumble down because they were, it was based on three pillars. That place had 3,000 Philistines. So we're talking seven pillars is meant to represent a big, big place. Wisdom has a big banquet hall for you and I to feast in. God is calling us to His banquet hall. The banquet hall is huge and can hold as many people who will come to eat as will come. Listen to what else it tells us. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. Now, so... Everything that we could possibly need is found in the Word of God for us to feast upon. Everything that we need to have for, for eating right is found in God's Word. The problem is we frequently get too busy. We get too called up in the world and the things of the world and we're moving from thing to thing that we don't spend the time eating the meal that we need. Now what would that be like if you didn't take time in your day to eat? You didn't take time to eat your breakfast. You didn't take time to eat your lunch. You didn't take time to eat your dinner, right? Everyone says, eat the, you know, once a day, read the word. Well, that's great. Uh, do you eat once a day when you eat physical food? Anyone just eat once a day? Well, if you're going to eat once a day, eat breakfast. That's what they say. That's the best meal to eat because that gets the metabolism going, right? But I like to eat several times a day, right? Anyone else? Amen, that's right. Here's, here's the meal God wants us to eat. He wants us to eat His Word. And when I eat something, especially if it's real good, my I've got some daughters that can do some serious baking. And when I put that sweet morsel in my mouth and just savor the flavor, and just the whole time it's going, it's just good all the way down. That's what God wants us to do with His Word. His Word is a sweet morsel to our inner being. And we don't just think about it after it's gone. We meditate on it and mull it over. And what that does is it helps us during the course of the day. Now, you may not be able to read your Bible more than once a day. You may not even be able to read it once a day sometimes. But you can memorize the Word of God. I love what the church does here by giving us those little cards. And I've started grabbing those things and put them in my, putting them in my pocket. And so whenever I'm in a line or something somewhere, I'll pull out in my pocket and i got a verse there and I can go over it. And what that does is it's a sweet morsel when it's going down and it helps me through the course of the day. And I know it's a spiritual thing. Don't ask me to fully explain it because I can't, other than saying the Holy Spirit knows what's going on. 
The Holy Spirit knows what's going to go on. God already knows everything. So he gives me a verse that I pick up. I pick it up and read it in line, and somehow that fits my situation in the day. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. It just happens, right? And that's, it's God's word. It's alive. We hear this all the time from the pulpit. The word of God is alive. This is why we think about it. We eat it. We take it in because it brings healing to our bodies. Now, listen to what else it says. It says, Those who um, she has sent forth her maiden, she crieth upon the highest places of the city. We're back to the high places. Whosoever is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she said, Come. She saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine which I have mingled. Now, if you notice this, this is the same exact call as the woman who's calling you to the meal that hurts you. You know what? There are some things out there that you and I can eat and take into our system that will hurt us. Uh, a problem right now, philosophically in our world, that manifests itself frequently is relativity. People say, oh, well, that's okay for you. That's all right. But I've got my truth. There, there's no such thing as absolute truth. This is what people believe today, right? You've run into this. That kind of thinking is detrimental to God's people. God has communicated absolute truth to us. If someone says to me, well, there are many ways to heaven, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm, let me bust your bubble right now. No, there's not. There's one. Jesus Christ claimed to be the only way. Oh, oh, that's so, it's a negative vibe. I'm feeling a negative vibe. Okay, whatever. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit trying to give you life. Right? But you don't, you don't say that, but you know, you get the idea. All right, so that's the danger. The world is selling us all kinds of stuff. Here's another example. Hey, if I just had that thing, I'll be happy. If I could just have this thing, it'll all be fine. No, it won't. Because when you get that thing that you're racing after and pushing all your energy towards, you'll find it can't meet your inner needs. Only pursuing God can do that. God has created us in such a way that the only thing that will fully satisfy us is pursuing Him. If we're doing anything else, we're eating a meal that's going to hurt us. And it's going to draw us away from Him. So seek Him. Sit down at the meal that brings healing. Forget the meal that hurts us. All right, now, your attitude helps. Here's the attitude. I say to you real quickly because we're out of time. Look at verses 13 through 18. Compare them to verses 1 through 6 and you'll see there's some similarities there. So the, both women, folly and wisdom, are calling out with the same message. Only the woman, folly, is lying. That's what she does, that she's deceiving. All right, here's the right attitude. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. So the meal that heals, a meal that hurts, that hurts you, an attitude that helps, fearing God, helps us to make the right decision. And then when we make the right decision, share our wisdom. And I got that guy with the pen up there in his hand because that's sometime how people are going to respond to you when you share your wisdom. The scripture says that there are scoffers out there, people who are, are against God. And we have to be careful. Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. You know what? This girl in my class, I started off with this illustration. When I first started talking to her about truth, she was like the guy with the, the pen in his hand. That's how she was, ready to knock me out. But over the course of time, the words of God enlivened her, 
to trust in Christ. And so that's what we're called to do. And if you're eating a meal that brings healing, you'll share healing with other people. If you're eating a meal that brings hurt, all you're sharing is hurt with other people. So my encouragement to you through the Proverbs, particularly in Proverbs 9, which wasn't assigned to me, but that's okay, Jim will forgive me. Uh, this, is the, this is the message. What are your thoughts from this passage today? Thoughts? Comments? Is this normally about the time we pray? All right. Uh, are there particular prayer requests, some things that, or does someone else handle the prayer time? Do it at your tables. Let, let me close in a word real quick then, and we'll go to tables. Father, we thank you for this time for each person here. I pray that the words that are spoken, particularly about the meal that you offer us, would resonate in our hearts and minds beyond this time here, and that we will think about it through the course of this week, and that we will sit down at the great meal that you've provided for us and feast and feast and feast, that we may experience your healing. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.